Fall is here, there's a chill in the air, and the Anomaly Film Festival is right around the corner. It's November 8th through the 12th at the Little Theater in Rochester, New York. Check it out at AnomalyFilmFest.com. It's the fifth year of showing the best in independent genre films, action, sci-fi, horror, dark comedy, and really whatever else that you wouldn't get a chance to see on the big screen. It's Anomaly Film Fest at the Little Theater, November 8th through 12th, AnomalyFilmFest.com. Masters of Couch Potato Style, Punches and Popcorn. Welcome back to another ass-kicking episode of Punches and Popcorn. And I am just fired up right now because we have our entire Couch Potato Ninja Clan reunited tonight to talk about one of the classics of 80s American martial arts cinema, The Last Dragon. But before we do that, all the crew is back together right now. So let's all let's all say hi and share some cherished memories or what have you of the time that we have separately been apart. Or I don't know. That's all I got for you. This is Mike. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, we have, as always, our magic man at the controls, Matt Knotts. Reunited and it feels go- so good. You know why that's apropos? The captain's name is Daryl Dragon. <laughs> oh, this is next level. This is, we should be charging for this level of content. Uh, we also have with us, uh, back with us, our first attempted contestant in the Western New York Kumite, uh, the genius, the ambassador, Jason. Love that intro. Um, so I watched Raya and the Last Dragon, so I'm probably uh, not ready for this, but I'll, I'll try to push through. <laughs> I'm right well, there. There, there is a glow. There is a glow. That dragon Sisu has a glow, and that's yes. definitely a reference. When you got that glow, you know? And Absolutely. the actual finder and winner of the Western New York Kumite uh, remember that in our punches and popcorn world, if we say it's true here, it is true. The doctor, the walking weapon, and Western New York Kumite champion. Reigning and <laughs> defending. And defending. So that means uh, if you see him on the street, you have the right to call him out for a fight. I'm just saying. Uh, just him, though. Uh, all right, the walking weapon, our guy. <laughs> He's back with us. Dr. Dominic DeMore. <laughs> Well, first rule of Kumite, we don't talk about Kumite. I'm just going to say this. The Kumite I was in is just as legitimate as the Kumite in Bloodsport. So, there you go. <laughs> Did it involve so Frank game? Dukes? I'm just as legitimate a Kumite winner as Frank Dukes, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks. Thanks, guys. I actually was away on research, and uh, unfortunately, I missed last week. I would have loved to have met Chris and Grady. But um, yeah, they seemed like awesome guys. But uh, I look forward to that show, and hopefully, I won't miss another show again. It was. And, and should I pitch? And should I pitch that like um, I am doing a science segment at the end of that? So like after credits, science segment. Absolutely, yeah. like a Blink One Eighty Two record. There's a hidden track. Yeah. So so <laughs> exactly. if you end it, if you stopped at the end of last week's show, and you were like, okay, but I seriously miss that that nasally Long Island accent, dude. Like, there's there's a hidden track, and 
it, it's uh, it's it's going to be gross. I'll tell you is that. It, is it also about activities that you could do on Mother's Day? Uh, I love what kind of mother you have. <laughs> Air quotes. I love that it perfectly lines up that it is a gross hidden track, just like a Blink One Eighty Two album. <laughs> yes, right, right. So, uh, yeah, hopefully by the time that you are listening to this, you will hear that greatness. And if you missed it, go back. You didn't finish it. That's your loss. But Tom is back. We'll have another uh, exciting science segment tonight. Um, Do you think I gave away we haven't recorded it yet? (laughs) (laughs) We don't want him to show how the sausage is made. This is proprietary secrets here. (laughs) <laughs> so you can cut yes, that exactly. out if you like. If, exactly. if, if not, oh no, it's staying. It's staying. Welcome Isolated. to the shit show, people. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, jump into our our episode. So, uh, just a really quick intro. Again, uh, I mentioned we are talk this week. We're talking about uh, one of the really foundational movies of '80s martial arts cinema. Uh, Barry Gordy's Last Dragon. So if you don't know Barry Gordy, I'm sorry. Uh, Barry Gordy is a legend. He created Motown, uh, created so much of the music scene in America across decades. And he also created a fantastic, epic, funny, action-packed, and music-packed film known as The Last Dragon. Uh, So let's just jump into it, guys. Uh, The Last Dragon. Um, What are your... Start out to some quick thoughts. Oh, and I, yeah, let's go to the quick thoughts. This was always on HBO when I was a kid. Oh, yes. <laughs> always. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't grow up on the playground quoting show enough, I don't know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be me. Yeah, by you, Jason. Um, so I didn't see it a ton as a child, just here and there, definitely on, on those HBO watches. Um, it sort of just blows me away that this came out in 1985, but almost feels like, like it's, everything is so eighties about it. It's almost like if, if they made that 70s show in the seventies, like how did they have the hindsight to hit everything from, you know, uh, music videos, weird eighties fashion, video games, comic books, rap, hip hop. Like it's. It, it like touches literally every checkbox of pop culture, cool '80s stuff. So um, it's a big deal to me. So the first time I saw it, I was in my 30s. I had actually never heard of it. Like I so, saw. So just growing up, we didn't get HBO. We didn't have HBO. My parents wouldn't pay for it. So the best I could get is watching it the blurry late at night for whatever reason. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so anyway, first time I saw it, it was I was in my 30s, and this is because I have a friend. We actually go out for tacos every week. Her name is Kara, and I'm dedicating this episode to her because that's her favorite movie, and she's like, you got to see The Last Dragon. And I'm like, okay, and I watched it, and I thought it was awesome. That's awesome. But upon a second watch... It's even awesomer. And the genius, no, the genius is right. He's right. I thought the same thing watching this movie. And I watched it with my wife, and I go, if they release this movie for the first time today, and I don't mean a remake, I don't mean with new actors, I don't mean a retread, I mean literally this film verbatim, if they released it today, it would be a smash hit. 
It'd be absolute smash hit. Uh, like it got a 59% on Rotten Tomatoes. It would be like a 95 because the 80s are in. And all these shows that are out now, like um, what do you call it? Stranger Things, mm-hmm. the It Chapter One. Uh, I saw this crazy movie called Turbo Kid on like uh, Netflix. All these movies are like taking 80s tropes and masterf- masterfully mixing them together to make these great referential things. And Jason is absolutely right. This movie had the, had the I don't know, the wherewithal or whatever to know what all the tropes were while they were happening and right. put them together. It was yeah. incredible. I was it's like... almost creepy. Yeah, I know. I was like, how, like, how do you have the forethought to know? Like, literally, I was like, this is like a, how do you make a spoof of something that is literally happening right now? It's impossible. Yeah. Like, I thought it was masterful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, yeah, I thought it was great. The second time was better than the first time viewing it. Like, I was like, wow. As David Lee Roth says, it often is. Um, so, yeah, I think the reason it's so good and, and the fact that it's kind of a, a parody of what's happening at the time is just the virtue of Barry Gordy as a tastemaker, right? Yep. yep. So, like, yeah. he knows what's cool. He knows what's happening. That sounds really lame, doesn't it? Uh, but, like, <laughs> he, but it's he the sees truth. it. He's very he Gordy it. for a reason, right? Yeah. I mean, he's he's been picking the hits till they scab and bleed since, like, 1958. Right. So, like, he knows what what's happening in culture and he can throw it up on a screen. And that's, what's so cool about it is it's such a, a distillation of everything amazingly weird and cool and different about the eighties, just into this bizarro uh, martial arts flick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. And I'm glad you brought up tropes because this movie has one of my favorite tropes of eighties action movies. That's what I meant to start us with before. Uh, there is Matt. I'm hoping you could give us just a selection of, the theme song, The Last Dragon. Can I? I sure can. Just groove on this. Taco Bell, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, sorry, I forgot about. Sounded <laughs> like a cat was walking across a Casio keyboard. <laughs> a keyboard is what I like to imagine. Well said. If you ever played Streets of Rage, you're all over this right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Here we go. This is what I love. That what is one of my favorite tropes of 80s action movies is when we get a song that was written for a movie and describes the plot of that movie yes. in the song. So and great. This is a great. And this is just one of the songs. And this is, oh, this is good. I, I love when a movie will exist or song exists in the movie just to tell you what the plot of the movie is mm-hmm. and like it's doing nothing else. Uh, Jason, I, we had a discussion about this at work. I was trying to remember what the, what were some of the other great ones? Like uh, there's a ton, like what Adam's family, right? And then there's even just like random deep cuts, like maniac cop two, which is my favorite. Cause it's like, yeah, so 
<laughs> and there's, but there's rap. a bunch. Don't forget Ninja uh, Rap. Yes. Ninja Rap, yep. Yeah, actually, actually, MC Hammer does the rap song at the end of the first Ninja Turtles movie, and he describes the whole movie. Like yeah. Ghost, in Ghostbusters that. then, too, right, for MC Hammer? Yep. Ghostbusters 2, was that MC Hammer or was that Bobby Brown? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I yeah. meant the original Ghostbusters. I said oh, ghost, I meant Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters 2 was Bobby Brown. Original Ghostbusters, Ray Parker Jr. describes the whole thing. Oh, also, see, I don't know what I'm talking about. In the, the, in the more recent years, Psycho Goreman ends with oh. a, a fun rap tune. It certainly does. <laughs> oh, it is um, fantastic. I, gotta, I have to see that one. Yes, it's time. As it's, does, I feel like, the... The, the spiritual cousin to The Last Dragon, New York Ninja. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, well, as we just talked about, that was uh, available for a Vinegar Syndrome sale, and I'm excited to be the proud owner of that. Someday soon. Shout out, shout out to our good friends at Vinegar Syndrome. Our yes, good friends. if you yes. want to be even better friends, you could send us some that we would happily cover <laughs> and create episodes of, just saying. <laughs> you hear that, Brad? You hear that, Justin? Shoot us some videos. I'm not familiar with vinegar syndrome. It sounds like something you need a cream for your crotch to get rid of. Like, that's not going to help us get, get You'd be in luck because they do also sell a number of vintage pornos. So. Yep. Oh, okay. Vinegar syndrome <laughs> is actually the, uh, the technical term for when uh, film is exposed to like light and heat. Oh, it turns uh, out kind of yellowy okay. and gross. I mm. learned something new today. Yeah, there you go. Yep, fascinating. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Vinegar well, syndrome. I like it. I, I like, like it. it. <laughs> uh, so one of the things I, I I think this movie fits in really well with the discussion that we just had with our friends uh, Chris Chris Pojali and Grady Hendrix, authors of These Fists Break Bricks. Uh, the topic that we discussed last week was. Uh, some of the stars of 70s martial arts, uh, American cinema, Ron Van Cleef and Charles Bonet. And one of the things that we talked about in that episode was, uh, besides the fact that, spoiler alert, Ron Van Cleef is involved in choreographs and has a part in this movie, uh, more that I'm sure we'll talk about later. But a big topic of the conversation was that after that Kung Fu craze died out, uh, fairly quickly after End of the Dragon came out, the audiences that kind of stuck around with the Kung Fu movies were the black, Latino, Asian audiences, especially in New York. And uh, this movie is stylistically, so again, it's another New York movie like the movies we talked about, especially Death, Death Promise last week. Uh, but looking at kind of the background to The Last Dragon, a lot of that is there too. So we have this wonderful, uh, just really charismatic star, uh, young man Taimak in this movie, and a lot of this came from, you know, Barry Gordy and the director Michael Schultz and the screenwriter uh, Louis uh, Jason. Correct me if I get this wrong. Louis Benostra. Uh, that, that sounds right. Said, you know, we want to see. Mo- we don't really see movies with a black hero with a black star in it, and they wanted to make a film that represented martial arts for the people that are still that love this and go to see it so they wanted to make a movie that had a black star that had a a diverse cast that would speak to them and show their love for these movies which i think is just fun for us to now kind of follow up that discussion we had last week about uh, you know that where kung fu movies were 
in the 70s going into the 80s. And then, as we talked about, Barry Gordy, you know, recognizing hits and deeds out there. He saw, look, this is an audience. Like, they want to see themselves represented in movies. You know, we want to see ourselves represented in movies. So I'm going to give you this movie that's going to be martial arts and more, right? Yeah, and how did they even get that made with an African-American lead? Like, you would think, obviously, it had to be the power of, of Barry Gordy at the time, but it's yeah. just so rare. I can't even think of, like... You know, maybe like Beverly Hills Cop at 48 Hours in terms of like early 80s. But that's like Eddie Murphy. This is Ty Mock, who I think is his first uh, role, really. So it's it's just a really, again, it just adds to the oddity of it all. It's just like, how are all these good things happening at once? It's crazy. It's all uh, Motown money. It's all Motown money. Gotcha. Like Barry Gordy put everything into it and had the killer soundtrack. Like, you still hear the song on the radio. Like, Rhythm of the Night, that's the Bard <laughs> yes. song. Yeah. Holy shit. You yes. couldn't go anywhere in the 80s without <laughs> yeah. hearing that song, and still today, you yeah. hear it all the time. Yeah. Wait, time out. Was that the first time that song came out was in this movie? Yeah, right? Yeah. Yes. No. It came from yeah. this movie. No. I was like, I was saying, I was I was watching the movie, I'm like, why do they just have a random music video in here? I've heard this song a gazillion times. several like, music videos in this movie. Yeah, it's yeah, I was just like, both, serious, both serious and parodies, right? Yeah. yeah, I thought I thought what happened was they were like, okay, well, she clearly runs, you know, Vanity, uh, clearly runs like a, a DJ kind of thing. And so anything we have a license to, we'll just slap it in there for filler. I didn't realize that these premiered with this movie. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Wow. Out. I have no yeah. idea. They were yeah, going for look, hits. Yeah, if you look at on the on Spotify, the playlist, you know, all the songs have. Uh, of you know a couple hundred thousand then there's rhythm of the night that has 76 almost 77 million listens to it like yeah. this is what it's from yeah it's a you also get like Sarita and Smokey robinson recorded the song for this uh stevie wonder recorded a song for this and again vanity who before this had been with prince she was someone that prince had found and discovered and brought into his circle there and she had I don't know if it was after her contract was expired or something. Yep. Barry Gordy brought her over to Motown and when they were looking was- for a female lead for this, he's like, Hey, we have this you know, we have this movie. We think it could be right for you. And yeah. She must have had a falling out with Prince, I guess, because she was supposed to be in Purple Rain, another eighties amazing movie, and I, I guess she fell out of that and Apollonia took over like Prince just had, you know, several women that he was grooming at every time, at, at all times. Yeah, I mean, Vanity walked off of per- Purple Rain and walked into Last Dragon. Barry Gordy signed her to a four-picture deal. Wow, that's fascinating. What are the other pictures? Because I got to be honest with you, I did not know who Vanity was before I watched this movie. And well, she doesn't have oh a great goodness. filmography. Wow. Actually, well, listen, listen, I am forty-two years old. Like, <laughs> it's you know, I'm I'm. Over the hill, like, I'm not checking out, you know, but I was watching this movie, I'm like, god damn, she is fine. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. You're Unfortunately, she's dead. Right. But, like, she wow. Is, she did not so Rest in peace. A lot of people from this movie are. Yeah, that, that four-picture deal really ne- never came to fruition. Um, Aww. I don't know that that Motown made a lot of movies after this one. Um, and then she went on to be, I mean, she was in Action Jackson. Yes, classic. Um, 
she did a couple episodes of Miami Vice, if I remember right. Um, and that was about it. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think she, Highlander the series. She was in for a while. While you're here, Matt, I'm just going to, again, just beg Anomaly to do an episode on the original Highlander. And if you need a guest star, I would love to be on it because that was no, that's my, no, that no, 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 stop. <laughs> Everyone stop. Freeze. It's a martial, art mo- martial arts movie. We're doing it. We're like doing it. it. Uh, I like it. it. I'm yeah, saying like they it. use swords. Swords are part of martial arts. There's definitely a katana. It's kendo. We're doing Highlander on here. I like it. I don't care. I like it. I'm, I'm calling it right now. I'm calling it in right the, now. In the words you know, of one of my best friends, Porquino Los Dos, we can just do it for both. There you go. I also want to just break in here with my favorite uh, IMDb trivia, which is just so random. And uh, there's some editorializing going on. It says Vanity, known for singing sexually suggestive. Let me try that again. Vanity, known for singing sexually suggestive songs while performing in lingerie and doing nude scenes, has no nude scenes in this movie and does not sing suggestive songs. It's just like does it, okay. does it list does it list the nude scenes? If so, can you forward me the address? I, I mean, think no. I think you'd need the website from Knocked Up for that. Don't in your time machine. Go to mrskin.com and you'll find out. There you go. Right now, I'm on well, my wife's computer, so don't tempt me, please. You're only just recording this on. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting talking about vanity and like how they didn't do more and Motown didn't do more. One of the things I was reading in again the Bible of our show, these fists break bricks. They talk about this movie a bit in it, oh, and cool. they said something along the the effects of you know Vanity came on, uh, Time Act came on, and we have to like talk about how he got on this movie because he has such an incredible story on his own. But when Vanity was there, she had decided. You know, at some point early in the film, like, I should be getting paid more. You know, I'm a star. I came over here from Prince. Like, so she walked out and was like, I'm not going to do this unless you pay me money. <laughs> and, and Tymok, like, did the same thing because he's like, well, I'm the star of this, so I should get money. Even though he's like this 19-year-old kid that everything that you read and even, like, the interviews from sound is, like, kind of naive is probably the wrong word because, I mean, he's an adult, right? But... No, I think, naive, I think naive is uh, 19 years old. Yeah, it I think is, naive it is. is, it is. Right. But again, uh, almost. I knew you at 19, Mike. I knew you Not Mike. Stop. <laughs> don't generally gain sentience until they hit 30, is what yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I'm still on myself. I'm so- both, both of them at different times had said, like, I'm walking away. I'm not going to do this unless you pay me more money. And each time Barry Gordy was like, Okay, I'll find somebody else to do this. Like, there's a, I forget who I know in the book. Uh, Chris and Grady mentioned like who it was, the other actress or music star that they had come in and basically scare Vanity back onto the set. And for Timok, it was just, dude, you're nobody. Like, you're somebody that just came off. Like, you just came out of a dojo. Like, we can just- find other people here, and they, and of course, they're both in it. But I think that that was some of. Right, like Barry Gordy, I know had talked about doing a sequel. I think they had talked about making it a trilogy, and I think it yeah. was just, uh, you know, this was clearly from everything I read. It sounded like it was a really passion, a passion project for Barry. Like he loved this. He loved, you know, getting to create this, which I think 
it was Michael Schultz, the director I heard describe it as, which is kind of cool to think about, but he described Bruce Leroy as the first black superhero on film. And he kind of mm. is. I would agree with that. Yeah. He like so he created this and he's like, well, this was kind of fun, but again, he's Barry Gordy. Like, I don't really have to deal with this if I don't want to. I'll just go back to music and everything else that he was doing. I'm still mm-hmm. tripping on the fact that anybody would go up to Barry Gordy and try to hold him up with money as if he hadn't <laughs> been through every girl group and boy group in the 50s and 60s who tried the same shit. They're like, right. all right, well, the bus is leaving in five minutes. You're on right. it or not? Right, <laughs> right. Like, Right. Like this is 1985 Barry Gordy, as you said, like he's been in this business for what, 30 years at this point. Like, yeah. no, he, he's forgotten about more people like time. Mac and Vanity than anybody will ever know, you know? So like speaking of time, Mac, you know, I met him, right? No, I don't think I knew that. Yes. Yes. So I was at New York city comic con in 2019, 2018 or 2019. Yes. If you're wondering how nerdy I am, you can elevate it because I've been, I pretty much go to New York city comic con regularly. But anyway, not just go. what were you wearing at that? Uh, well, I think that year I was a Sentinel. With, like, oh. I was, you know, the robot from X Men. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. With X Men uh, toys, like, and I actually bought X Men toys. Like, I don't collect toys, you know, like, there is a <laughs> limit to my nerdiness. So, uh, X Men toys on me. There, no, don't there lie. is. Don't, I don't lie. Want, don't lie. <laughs> and I don't do D&D, Mike. So there is a single <laughs> I do D&D. Yes. We're telling on each other tonight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this, is, this is the tell. This goes in and now we're, <laughs> the knives come out. So anyway, so... So I was in costume on the Saturday. So I don't know if you've ever been to New York City Comic Con to the audience, but it's like a four-day thing. So I was in costume on on Saturday. But the Sunday, I'm just wandering around, right? And um, so I see him. I see Tymok, and I'm like, holy crap, that's the guy from The Last Dragon. Now, as I told you, my friend Kara loves this movie. It's her favorite movie. So I run up to him, and I'm like, Oh my God, you're the guy from The Last Dragon. He's like, yeah, nice. And he was super nice. He was super nice. And I'm like, can I get your autograph? And he's like, yeah, I only take cash. And I'm like, how long are you going to be here? And he's like, I'll be here for another couple hours. Don't worry, man. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to get you. So I got his signature. Not only did I meet him, shake his hand, I got an autograph picture of him being choked by Shonuff. And I got that for my friend, and she's like, she has it in a fireproof safe. Oh, my God. Yes. It is not even up. It's in a fireproof safe. And to add to it, her house actually caught fire, and it was preserved because it was in the fireproof safe. So no regrets on anyone's part here. No regrets. (laughs) Yeah. So honestly, he seemed like a really nice guy. He was really friendly. He was just sitting there, you know, signing autographs. I had a conversation with him. Um, He's aged very well. He's aged. I was like, "Dang, dude! Like, he's like, he's still jacked. He's yeah. He seemed like a really nice guy. Like the stories you're saying about how he's like, I want more money. Like, he, he, I think he's over it. <laughs> I was yeah. say, think, think about who you were when you were 19 and who you are today. That's yeah. a different person. Yeah, right. So, well, you seriously, totally- seriously nice dude. Like, if you ever see Ty Mock, 
say hello. He's he was a really cool guy, like real cool. So you know, you I don't know. Get- I haven't met a lot of celebrities, but all I hear are these horror stories about how they're like, go away, man. You know, not not the case. <laughs> he was a nice guy. Yeah, no, you had cash, so he's gonna be cool. Right, that's right. <laughs> did you <laughs> get? Did you get? A, did you get a picture with him? Oh man, it's somewhere buried in my phone. I don't know. I mean, oh, you gotta yeah, find it so we can tweet that out and let everybody see. I'll 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 I'll, I'll rummage through the pictures from pre- it's pre COVID. Like I feel like that was another millennia. Like you know, it was just- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'll look. Yeah, he was a super nice guy. <laughs> if you dig that up, I can make it the icon for this episode. Okay. Oh, yes. Cool. Yes. Uh, yeah. Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. There yeah. you go. We, and, and he's like, I was reading up on him. He like knows every martial art. I mean, I could tell from oh, watching cool. the movie. Seriously, he knows Jeet. Like his Jeet Kune Do is good. Um, Chinese Goju is what they talk about in the movie. How like Chinese Goju is like, he actually mentions that that's the, that's the martial art he teaches his students. But what he's doing is clearly like, like modern Kung Fu Jeet Kune Do stuff. Um, yeah, he's legit. He's like, a, he's really good martial artist too. And he was trained. He was actually, he actually not only did Ron Van Cleef do the choreography for this movie. He actually trained. He actually trained him in, in, in Chinese Goju. So pretty cool yeah he he's like a legit martial artist i gotta admit though in this movie i didn't think the cinematography was great like the martial arts was great and i could tell it was great but the camera work i would have liked it to have been a little bit better that's my one credit my only criticism of this movie is i feel like watching the martial arts stuff i was like i feel like i missed stuff I well, agree. I, it falls in the same range as Enter the Dragon for me, where it's like a classic by the book director, because this is the guy that directed the the Sergeant Pepper's movie. Ah, yes. Uh, he directed Car Wash, uh, Cooley High, uh, Bustin' Loose. Like, <laughs> yeah. He did right after this. His next movie was Disorderlies. <laughs> if you remember, yeah. does anybody remember Disorderlies? The Fat oh, yeah. Boys Disorderlies? Yeah. Uh-huh. Of course. Uh-huh. Was, <laughs> Dom, you seem like you haven't seen that yet. I have not <laughs> seen Disorderlies. You got to get on that. It's way up there. It'll be out on Vinegar Syndrome, I'm sure, within the next six months. Um, <laughs> Sounds yeah. fermented, yes. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> but yeah, it's a very like static classic. He did a lot of TV work, so that's the way it looks. It almost looks like you know you, you set up the camera, you do the shot, and then you move on kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. It's not really like an action kinetic. Like We're just coming off the back of the raid. You know, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah, that's right. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. And those two, they're like chalk and cheese. It's two yeah. completely different things. <laughs> but I gotta, yeah. I gotta say, like Michael Schultz, like as far as being like you know an African American director at in the eighties, which is like you know they that just kind of wasn't a thing. Like this is before Spike right. Lee. This is before uh, John Singleton, and it's cool. I was reading uh, up on him, and John Singleton credits Cooley High, that's a, a Schultz-directed film from the 70s, as being a precursor to Boys in the Hood. And a lot yeah. of people um, say that Car Wash is a precursor to do the Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing because it's all set in a day and stuff like that. So, For you know, sure. he, you know, like you said, maybe it's not like kinetic filmmaking, but you know, having his footprint in the 80s is, is kind of unbelievable. And he yeah. also was uh, directed the first performance from samuel L. jackson um the movie i haven't seen the movie it's called together for huh. a, and and um also denzel washington and carbon copy with uh, george siegel so yeah. he definitely made a, a, a great uh impact and, and it's just like 
shocking because oh, I, I can't think of another african-american director like in the 80s you know before spike lee and john singleton showed up yeah they were few and far between because i think like melvin van peebles was even just doing yes. like random indie stuff i mean yes. he never did anything really really big right yeah but like schultz is working in the studio system which is crazy working in the system and yeah like he made a uh, bust and loose was the the prior movie and like richard Pryor is what he did just before carbon copy yeah. crush groove which is great i've never I seen love it. crush groove got it crush groove is basically like one of the first rap movies yeah so yes. if you go back and that watch it awesome. it's like live performances with run dmc and the fat boys and like oh it, that it's, sounds amazing it's, it, it's loosely based on russell simmons so wow. it, it's like that early 80s yeah it's it's dope it's it's really good, um, but yeah, th- but that's the kind of movie he he kind right. of specialized in mm-hmm. was, was it, more narrative pieces. You didn't have to bounce around too much. Like looking at his filmography before that, like the only thing you'd really have to be super kinetic about would be like Sergeant Pepper's, right? Mm-hmm. Right, and, and even that is more just like set pieces. You don't really have to move with what, whatever's going on. You're almost shooting it like a theater piece. Right. He's almost so, documenting it more than having to, you know, make it kinetic on his own. Like, cause he's got it in front of the camera. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's two totally different talents. He's amazing. And, and like his filmography stands up to, to really anybody, especially for the stuff he was making. I mean, Cooley high is yeah. great. If you have really seen it, go good, back yeah. and watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to admit, I haven't cool. seen many of these movies. Um, I actually was wondering, they call him a coolie in the show, in the movie. Um, ah, so, so that's a coolie reference. is Italian slang for your butt. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, why do they keep calling? Like, I was like, why do I keep calling? Am I this out of touch? Like, what does that word even mean? Like, coolie runs a couple different different things. It's either your, your butt or it was also a, a a racial slur against Asians at a certain point as well, because um, the 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 hats that you would see like in the old Looney Tunes cartoons they would call those coolie hats. Mm. Yep. Uh, so that, okay, that might be part of it too. Yeah. So it's just an interesting thing to to see. Like culturally, it's just weird and different. So really, speaking yeah. Of, speaking of racial, I I got a question. I gotta ask you. Like, you have an African American guy. Dressing up in full traditional Chinese clothes in Harlem, going up to some Asian guys, and they're and like, I was wondering, I'm like, is it like, is this offensive? It's not to me. It almost seems progressive because the, the, no, the Asian dudes were being like – they were trying to be African-American. Like it was kind yeah. of like progressive in that it's like this melting, melting pot of New York City. So uh, like I, I almost took it as like, oh, this is kind of great. They're you know adapting and, and kind of stealing stuff from their own – you know other people's cultures and kind of making it their own. So I, I thought oh, it was no, pretty they're great. They're fine. The, the Asian people are fine. I'm talking about that one scene where they're all rapping. The Asian guys are rapping on the street corner. And then you – know, and then – you know, Leroy Green shows up in full Chinese outfit with that hat on, and they're just like, "What are you doing?" And then they're like, "Let me tell you this in words you can understand." And they takes the hat off, puts it on himself, and like does a Chinese stereotype. And I'm like, uh-huh. "That's oh, kind yeah, of telling." That's... Okay, yeah. But, but it's enough. interesting if if you want to talk about the Chinese stereotypes because I feel like this movie is, and we've already discussed this. This movie is extremely self aware, and I found it to be almost impressive. Yeah. Because you know that a guy you the 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 who he yeah. calls himself he calls himself Oriental, but I'll refer to him as Asian because you know, um, he yeah. and he's like, 
But he goes, you know how we're supposed to mar- master the art of fighting without fighting? Totally Bruce Lee quote. <laughs> He's like, yes. I want to fight without actually knowing how knowing. to fight. <laughs> fighting without that He's like, so and sorry, he's yeah. like, people are scared of Asian people, so all I have to do is go, what the mind? People right, right. run away. And that kind of goes Lee back noise? to the... It goes to the influence of Bruce Lee, which we've talked about in many of these episodes about how before Bruce Lee, Asians were considered to be like weak. And then Bruce Lee shows up and now it's like, oh, you're Asian. You probably know how to kick my ass because you train in a martial art like that. (laughs) The stereotype swingeth in the different direction. And they literally say that in the movie. And I was like. Wow, I'm pretty impressed. This movie is extremely self-aware. Like, and there's other ways it's self-aware too. So, for example, uh, the mobster tropes, the um, music videos, and like that kind of bubblegum pop that was big at the time. Um, all the characters are stereotypes, but they're done in a way that is not. Um, what's what I'm looking for? It's they're not. It's not self-deprecating. It's like there's the 80s was an interesting time, I find, because like nowadays we feel that stereotyping is bad. You just Mm -hmm. shouldn't do it. But Mm -hmm. back then in the 80s, I feel like they're like, okay, you can stereotype, but you have to do it in a positive way. Which I feel like the 90s did even more. Chris Rock's entire career was built on making fun of stereotypes. So, like, this movie, like, the stereotypes are just so in your face that everyone is actually a caricature. And everyone well, has a swagger, you know, yeah. and is just, like, so expressive. And, and so yeah, it's Yeah, their fun. characterization is their wardrobe. It's almost like uh, yeah. like someone – whoever wrote the script was probably a fan of the Warriors from the 70s because there's, like, different clans of, of – uh, you know, right. fighting crews. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's so it's absolutely all that. Uh, the stereotypes is very intentional. It's something that uh, Louis Venosta, Venosta, yeah, that wrote this talked about. Like he intentionally put it in that he wanted to burst as many stereotypes as he could. That he was very he wanted the the black guy who acted like an the right dress. Everything that we talked about dressed, use the mannerisms. Um, you know, so all that was intentional that he wanted to like bust like this is what you expect of a black guy. I'm going to have him portray this other stereotype and he's going to change all that around. And you get all like the interaction with his brother that kind of pokes at that where his brother like looks at him and is like, you're not even a man like all that. Like, so there's all like you in the movie, they're poking it like that. He doesn't fit that. And then the Asian guys are the three, the brothers that um, some dumb goy. That's again, that's an intentional <laughs> name, right? Yeah. Some dumb yeah. goy, and that they intentionally wanted them like, oh, so now I'm gonna make the here's this black guy that acts Asian. Well, I'm gonna have these Asian guys act black, and yeah. we're gonna like basically like it's a comedy where they're poking at each other's stereotypes there. Yeah. And he's like, I really want to just burst all this, and it's like his subtle way to like just poke his finger in all those stereotypes. And even mm-hmm. the fact that like this black family has a pizza shop, right? Yes, right. Like right. that was intentional too, that he's like, mm-hmm. we want ever, you know, I want to go against every possible stereotype that I can. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's funny, like it, it's real. You're right. There's a lot of really progressive stuff yeah. in here where they're really like looking at race and talking about race you know, in a really like subtle way that you can laugh at, but I think it's part of the appeal for this movie, right? Especially that again, it has these black, a black star, black heroes there that 
uh, movies at the time, they weren't really giving the black and brown audience, yeah. right? And this movie no. did. And they're, you know, they're good people. They're complex people. Um, you know, it's just, it's a very different movie from stuff that came out at the time, but it's easy to like gloss over it. Cause they also intentionally, like Michael Schultz said, I wanted to make this a comic book on film, like all the like crazy over the top stuff. Like he wanted it, he wanted it to be like wild and crazy and stylistically interesting because he wanted like all the excitement you get from reading a comic book. He wanted that on film and, and it is like everything in this movie is larger than life. Right. Mm-hmm. But back to those stereotypes, I, 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 there's something else I'd like to add that I thought was interesting. Um, so remember the scene, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is where they're watching Enter the Dragon. Oh, by the way, yeah. side note, Bolo is in this movie. It counts. Yes. Oh, yeah, right. This is a Bolo movie. Bolo's a Bolo in this movie. one. Count this is a Bolo movie. We're done. Anyway, <laughs> that scene at the Midnight Theater where everyone's watching the movie and Shonuff shows up, like, they intentionally showed the, like, the people. And you had basically every kind of, like, city person you could possibly have that was a young person at the time. You had, like, you, you had uh, African-American guys. Um, you had a Jamaican guy smoking. <laughs> smoking. <right. Yeah>. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had... You had what I believe to be gay guys. Those two big gay guys that I believe they were gay. They were wearing like pink tank tops. You had the one large Asian guy. They had the transvestite. You had the punk rockers. You had the dancers with the boombox that got crushed. Uh, You got Asian people, all those kinds of things. Honestly, I was looking at that and I was like, this is a really progressive scene. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the kind of scene Ben Shapiro wants to take and say, this is the future liberals want like, <laughs> you know like i was just like it's all these very extreme yeah it's like it's it but they're all together and they're all enjoying a movie together and yeah they're wacky and crazy and over the top but it, it's i mean i guess for the 80s there's there's a lot of representation there it's kind of you know I, I thought it was good like i feel like in the 80s everyone was either it was either white or non-white and in this movie they're just like here's an array of crazy random characters and it was refreshing and i really like that yeah and because that, of that scene i also thought that that was what like new york city movie theaters were like when i was a kid and i was like i gotta get to one of those those look amazing <laughs> well you might not have been too off because i saw uh lewis Benosta said that like he so 10 year the 10th anniversary of when excuse me under the dragon came out in 1983 he had been to a theater to, so it, they did like a, a tour of like this movie re-released it in the theaters for the 10 year anniversary. And he went and saw it and he described a scene very similar to this, that he's like, I looked around and it's people of all different races, all different people. And everyone's in there just loving this. It's like a lot of it. I put it like people are up, like they're acting out the moves in the theater. People came in, in costume and that. And he's like, I just thought like, wow, look at this movie and how much it brought people together. And that was kind of the inspiration for him that he's like, I want to write a movie that's like this, that shows like how much this stuff means to us. And mm-hmm. right. And it's, so I'd like to think that what we saw in there was maybe to some degree representative of what maybe it was like going to see enter the dragon in 83. 
And I'm really glad you brought that up because this also introduces us to, in my opinion, maybe my favorite villain in martial arts movies. (laughs) The man with the best lines. I know we've got some heat waiting for us here. Am I the meanest? Am I the prettiest? Am I the baddest mofo low down around this time? Sure enough. Well, who am I? Sure enough. Who am I? Sure enough. I can't hear you. Vegan! Get that sucker to the designated place at the designated time. I will gladly designate his ass for dismemberment. Him. That's the my favorite villain in martial arts movies. Show enough. I want to know where he gets his shoulder pads. <laughs> he has legit football shoulder pads, but with flower emblems and felt on them. Like he's just nuts. Straight from Pepper Johnson. <laughs> oh my god! So this- yeah, he's he's a great villain. Like the faces he makes, like. Like they're God, like he's... Jim Carrey esque almost the way he contorts yeah. his face like I love it I absolutely love it yeah the best lines right the, I mean all those things we heard the kiss my converts it are <laughs> yeah. unforgettable right um, mm-hmm. so this played by Julius Carey uh, who uh, again just steals the scene every time he's in it right and it was interesting uh, Michael Schultz had said that like when he came in to audition for it. He's like very clean cut, like dressed like a banker. And then he's like part of it. Like they gave him the wig and all these things just so that like, he has to sell this, like I'm wild, but immediately like he just bought into this character. And I mean, we see it here and I saw one of the special features. Timex said that, you know, he really got into it and wanted to uh, really antagonize Timex. So he like got into when they were on set, he like got into his costume and like, something like kicked in the door of his dressing room and started like antagonizing him and like <laughs> basically just giving him these lines until Tymok was like chasing him around the set. And he's like, yeah, he, he's like, cause he's a really nice, you know, kind guy. But he, when he puts this stuff on, he completely transformed. And it's crazy too. So out of, so we talked about Tymok has, I think it's seven different black belts I saw. Um, including Chinese Gujo Karate. Am I pronouncing Goju? Goju. Thank you. That he studied with Ron Van Cleef. And I think, did we mention this before? Like, that's how he got on the set because Ron Van Cleef was hired as one of the martial arts coordinators. But it's then when they were looking for a star, Ron Van Cleef reached out to one of his students, Timak, and was like, hey, I'm on this movie. They're looking for a star. You know, you have a lot of talent. You should come on and do this. And I know, you know, Michael Schultz said, well, they didn't really have a lot of experience with uh, fight coordinating and all that. They brought on guys like Ron Van Cleef to help with that. But he knew, again, 
Barry Gordy isn't a martial arts movie pro. Michael Schultz doesn't do martial arts movies. So you know, they were really looking for leaning on actors that have martial arts experience to be able to do this. Like we don't really have a lot of time to train you. We have to, you know, we need people that can actually fight. But the one exception to that was Julius Carey uh, because he was, you know, again, as the results speak for themselves, right? Yes. Seems yes. To be like he's fantastic in this role. And they he's actually very had, physically imposing. He's very it, physically imposing. Like, he's yeah, like and they four, said, right? Right. Yeah. And that was the thing yeah. they said. So he actually is like six, four, so they're like, we didn't have to use like risers in him or anything to like make him tall. He's actually that big. And then when you put on the wig, it's even bigger, right? And then throw mm-hmm. on some shoulder pads, and you know you have a full, a full menace there. But he, uh, but they also so they were talking about the different martial arts coordinators that they had, and they basically assigned Ron Van Cleef to Julius Carey because they're like Ron Van Cleef style that kind of goes to what Grady and Chris were talking about last time that his style is very aggressive very hard and like so this is the style that the villain needed to have where Tymok, even though he trained with uh with ron van cleef they had a different martial artist come in that worked with more again the like traditional chinese like more flowing because again you know, Tymok's personality is that he's he's gentle and kind so his fighting style isn't going to be as like hard and rough as Julius Carey's was going to be as shown up. But uh, they said, I think there's like one scene, I think when he goes, gets kicked into the the tub or something there towards the end, at the end that like, that's one of the only scenes he used a stunt actor for. Otherwise he did almost all that himself. You know, he figured out and learned the moves they used and all that. So, you know, I think his hands actually glowed. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about Shonuff is so it's so it's interesting. It's uh, it's I feel like this movie is very New York. I feel like it's a good representation of New York City because you have all these because New York. So the stereotype of New York is people are like rude, and I don't think that's true. People in New York are just blunt because they have <laughs> places to go, they have things to do. They're the kind of people that are like. When they say, how you doing, they know that no one's actually asking, you know, (laughs) how you doing? Bye. You know, it's not a real thing, you know? So they, so I, 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 I actually, I've found some of the nicest people to be New Yorkers, but they're, like I said, they're very blunt and they Mm -hmm. got some stuff to do. And I feel like in this movie, like it's very New York because, you know, Remember in the theater how, you know, Shonuff walks in with all those people. Who's the baddest? And they're like, go away. We have, we're watching a movie. Why are you here? Why are you here? And, like, people are just like, like he's a – Shonuff could kick anyone's ass. And everyone's like, whoop-de-doo. Why are you here? You know, like, like when he comes to the pizzeria, he's like, I'm the Shogun of Harlem. They're like, okay. You know, everyone's like, like you know – who cares man so i find this interesting about he's so full of himself that he thinks everyone should worship him new york's not the place man this is a big pond this is a big big pond and people act like it so when he's in the movie theater and people like shut up sit down because like (laughs) i don't you know that is you know i feel like it's a very new york movie because of that fact that you know 
it's just so many people and not everyone knows everyone else and people are like okay you think you're hot shit and you might be able to fight really well but like I, you know i got to i got to take the 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 e train back after this so would you shut up you know like that kind of thing <laughs> right right and right I, no no i feel like it's very new yorker that's very new Mike lives in new york for a year oh, you yeah. know what i mean like i do i do <laughs> I do. Well, and it's like the thing I always tell people about New York. Like, hey, listen, you've got, you know, 8 million people living in yeah, a little less than that if we're talking just about Manhattan, but still millions of people living in like an 11 mile long island all around each other. Like you spend all that time and people will just get very uh, right. You kind of you got to go because, you know, you got to make your space there and you kind of hold your own space because I mean, you have to you have people in your face all the time. Right. But ultimately, like New Yorkers, I think also recognize that, well, we are in this small space with a bunch of people. So if somebody needs help, like, well, we got to help each other because, you know, we all need it. So it's like it's that like flip side of it. Right. And I think that's that. Just like you said, it would totally be the thing that like this guy would show up here and be like, who's the baddest with his crew and. (laughs) Everyone would laugh at him until he starts punching people out, right? And yeah. I like that. And even after know, that, like, please, please leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll tell you something right now. I, I grew up in suburbia. I grew up on Long Island, right? right. Oh, by the way, you can always tell someone is from Long Island because they refer to the island as on, not in. It's an interesting little factoid. Anyway, <laughs> I grew up on Long Island. And I can tell you something. City people are nicer than suburban people. Wait on lines too, isn't it? Yeah, we wait on lines. We wait online. We live on an island. It's a very interesting thing. But seriously, suburb I find city people to be nicer than suburban people. I, I, I do. I, I mean, and I'm a suburbanite, so I live in suburbia now. I grew up in suburbia, so I'm kind of dissing myself. But like, I was in uh, Queens, Astoria, Queens, and I was at a bagel shop and I was buying a bagel and. Uh, it was cash only. I didn't have any cash. So I'm like, oh, I'll run to an ATM. And the woman behind me is like, no, I got you. Five bucks. She walks out. And I was just like, it's my guardian angel. That would never <laughs> happen in suburbia. <laughs> That's never. True. Never. That's true. And no, I'm not that handsome that that kind of thing happens all the time. Okay? So don't even take it. <laughs> oh, don't lie, Gab. <laughs> it's, you know, like Mark Simpson said, as long as you don't focus on the Pimps and the Chuds. You're <laughs> the fucking city. Like, yeah, try that move at Balsam here, and you're lucky to get out with your life. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, show enough. Oh, just fantastic, fantastic, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> the wardrobes uh, are great. Like, what is up with the wardrobe? No, seriously. Like, I love it. I love everyone's wardrobe. Is is very intentional and awesome it's really <laughs> the color and i know the 80s is very colorful but it almost seems intentional everyone's so colorful and it's oh, so over the top it does look like a comic book and i'm glad you yeah. brought that up because i didn't know that because it does come across as conference wonderful mm-hmm. yeah that's something yeah. like listening to the commentary i mean michael schultz says that repeatedly he's like i wanted to make a comic book i wanted to make a comic book and it's kind of cool that like now we live in a world where we can say like you know, one of my favorite movies is Into the Spider-Verse because they literally took a superhero movie and captured this graphic style of the comic book. Like, we have actual movies about comic book heroes that, you know, we can debate, like, what is comic booky and what is, you know, all that stuff. 
But this is a movie that it's not a comic book. It's not based on a Marvel story. It This is its own thing, but he still took inspiration from that style and the mood of it and put it into this and made this really unforgettable, striking story. Like the interesting thing for me, one of the first time, I, so the first time I ever encountered this I, that connects to show enough here was actually from the Busta Rhymes video, dangerous where he dresses up. Oh yeah. He's dressed yeah. as show enough. Yep. I remember watching it with a friend. I'm like, you know, and I mean, Buster Rhymes, this is peak, like when he was first blowing up and I'm like, this is awesome. And my friend had said, oh, it's like this movie, Last Dragon, like he's playing as his character. So, you know, I looked up and watched this movie and I, I hadn't thought of it again until uh, I was at work and you know, Jason and I both work for the same company that's you know, a pretty large corporation, one of the most prominent ones with a very like old school corporate culture. And I was part of this like leadership seminar and we had like one of the big wigs come in and speak to us about you know corporate leadership in a very like formal corporate type thing right and this guy starts telling this story and he's like i want to tell you the story of this favorite movie of mine and it's when it's all about this guy who's trying he's like a martial artist and he's trying to find who's the master and he you it only takes a couple seconds getting into this. And I'm like, I'm at this big, like corporate leadership workshop. And this guy is describing the last dragon to me. (laughs) And it was the same lesson, this wonderful lesson we get in this movie, right? That the master is inside of you. And he used that to talk about, well, this is, you know what I discovered and yada, yada. So whether you think that's a positive or negative, this depends on like how you stand on like corporate culture, uh, or if you've seen Severance, that might <laughs> change your mind at corporate yeah. culture. But uh, it just again, like the diverse realms that connect with this movie. And mm-hmm. I would have never thought that I would work for this large corporation and be in this like suit and tie workshop and have a, you know a big wig describe the last dragon to me. <laughs> also, I'd but, like to bring up. I'd like to add about. His master, quote, you know, when he's like, I'm not your master anymore, but his instructor, first of all, clearly is younger. The makeup job wasn't great. Um, <laughs> yeah, clearly is younger. But also, we're talking about, like, you know, kind of bucking stereotypes. This, his instructor bucks the most stereotypes out of all of them. You know, when he bows down, he's like, get up, you've been watching too many movies. Yeah. And then when he's like, and then when he's, you know, he sends him on this quest, and he's like, "There's no quest." I'm just, you know, I was just saying, <laughs> the metal. Wild, he's got the yeah, metal. Yeah, I was just saying, "Oh, what a goose chase!" And then mm-hmm. he's like, "And now I have to catch a flight." And he's like, "Are you searching for more wisdom?" He's like, "No, I'm visiting my mother in Miami," <laughs> which I love. No, I love that because, like, oh yeah, you know, oh, yeah. you have all these martial arts movies where you're like, "Oh, in order to be yeah, a they're so arts, self-important, right?" Yeah, I don't want to be a martial arts master. You need to, you know, this mystical crap. It's like, you know how you become a martial arts master? I'll tell you how. Train. That's it. Practice. It's just like anything else. And, you know, and aside from that, they're normal people. Like, we're, I'm a martial artist, so we're normal people, you know? I know people with, 
I mean, uh, my my judo instructor is Rokudan. Like he is legit, legit judo master, and he's a normal guy. He's he oh like every other Wednesday we go out for beer. Like I like that. I really like it. He's <laughs> that like you know, awesome. you know this guy isn't just spitting Confucianism. Con- Confucian. I I I can't pronounce that. Confu- <laughs> Confucianism. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. It's my fault. I'm not making fun of the word. It's my fault. But yeah, he's like he's a guy, and he's like I'm going to visit my mom in Miami. You know. <laughs> I also like the uh, the fact that I mean, this is kind of me reading into it, but you know, Bruce Leroy, our lead, he's sort of pretty. You know, again, Dom, you could probably speak to this, but whatever he's learning from his sensei there, it's it's pretty passive and and sort of you know like. Um, you know, turn the other cheek style of, of you know, martial arts. But mm. what what kind of turns Bruce Leroy is the movies. He gets to the cinema, he sees Bruce Lee, and, and that's sort of that aggression, I think, which helps him, you know, eventually take down Show Enough. So I kind of love that one of the themes of the movie is kind of like pop culture or even movies themselves sort of, uh, uh, you know, not turning him to the dark side, but just changing him to be more aggressive. Like, it's kind of almost like a... Uh, I don't want to say a dark message, but but definitely interesting. Well, well it, it it does work with that, and also you know, there's an interesting and a trope here. Here, and like here's another trope from a lot of martial arts movies. You have the passive martial artist. It's like whatever, I don't want to fight you, go right. away, kind of thing. But mm-hmm. then when his family and friends are attacked, that's when it. Whoosh, you and know. it's usually like a like a death or something. Your, your family's killed, but in this case, yeah. like Shonuf just kind of beats up the pizza shop, his dad's pizza shop, and that's sort of you know I kind of love that everything's sort of um, almost PG thirteen, and like that's an example. Or at the end when he finally gets his hands on uh, Eddie Arcadian, the mm. you know the main <laughs> villain, if you will, um, he, he just kind of puts him. He he sort of like what does he like puts him on a a chain and, and hauls right, him into the right. air until the cops come. Yeah. Like it's, it's very it's vanilla very, in terms of uh, it, it's the very revenge. Like a, it's very like a Batman Spider-Man moment where the yeah. bad guys just left exactly. hanging and they're like, yeah. where'd he go? Where's the superhero? Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He still pulls the Batman stuff a bunch of times. Like, where is he? Oh, where'd yeah. he go? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's speaking of the Bruce Lee stuff. Like I thought that was really sweet. One of the things that again, vanity, Playing this role, uh, she's very charming, right? Again, gorgeous, yes. gorgeous. But she's she's such like a kind, nice per, like a kind, grounded person. The way that she plays her, and yeah. I thought it like it's really sweet that she invites him over and isn't like uh, I, with some other movies you might see from the eighties. She's like, <laughs> oh, my clothes all fell off, and it's like. <laughs> You know, but it's, or if it's a John Claude Van Damme movie, oh, my clothes are fellow. Exactly. You actually acted better than. Okay, I'm pause. Your acting was better than John Claude Van Damme's acting just now. Well, I think it's really sweet that she puts these the cuts of this uh, the Bruce Lee movies together for him, and I like she doesn't even like. I'm not going to try to distract him. Like I know this is what he loves, and I'm just going to let him geek out there. <laughs> it's like. That's so. That's awesome, right? And he gets, you know, gets all into it. Was very cute. Yeah, yeah. And it, was it was cute. Yeah, that's the right word. It's just cute. And you know, yeah, and I agree with you a hundred percent. Like, here's this woman who's like clearly a sex symbol, you know, and here's this guy who's clearly a virgin, and she's like, 
I like you and you saved my life twice. I'll put right. up with a lot to get with you. Like, and, and she does. Like, I mean, he does. He saves her life literally twice and she likes him. Like, she's like, and she ah. offers him a job. That's pretty great, too. Yeah. Oh, exactly. she lays it on thick. Like, she lays it on thick when she's like, I need a bodyguard to protect, you know, my body. And I was like, Whoa. Whoa. And he's all he's our naive like over his head. <laughs> random, random fact that I heard in the commentary, just speaking of Leroy's naivete or his innocence. One of the things that they put in this to try to stress this was that he never used He never, um, uh, what is the, uh, and I'm an English major. I should remember this. Our show's going, uh, he doesn't use any compound words. Like, he always oh, says yeah. cannot. Yes. Not like can't. Like everything is always, it's, there's no contractions. That's the word. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's that uh, Geneseo English degree. 20 Ooh. years old, still paying <laughs> off. Contractions. Yeah, he did sound, he did he sound like. He not any contractions. Yeah, he sounded like Grover from Sesame Street. Like he didn't use any <laughs> contractions. <laughs> yeah, he sounded very innocent, but that's also like, you know. Like his 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 wisdom and his meditation and all that, you know, it was it it, it did border on naivete, which I thought was it was fun. It was like he wasn't he he was still young and he seemed impressionable and um, even silly at times. It yeah. just made him so likable, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's not he's not he's not a thug. He's not a bully. He's not a like. You know, I've talked about this before when we talk when we did uh, Bloodsport that like Steven Seagal, like watch that. I'm like, this guy's an asshole. I like, no, he, like he's really nice. Which speaking of Bloodsport, random thought here. So remember Leroy's younger brother, and he has his crew of guys there, right? Yeah. You now there's the one white guy with the jean jacket with yeah, like yeah. that eagle and stuff. Even yeah. though the timing doesn't totally work, I think it's really fun to think of that as actually Jackson. As a thirteen-year-old, and then ah, I'm like, so it's fun if you think that. I then, like, that. like, give it another fifteen years, and he's fighting in the Kumite. And just don't do the year <laughs> math, but <laughs> I could see uh, that way, becoming uh, Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Speaking of carrying things over and talking about like big stars, am I the only person? That, am I gonna seriously gonna be the first person to bring up that William H Macy is in this show? Is in so this movie? Random. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, ran. Right I was like, wait a second. This is like yeah. a legit like actor right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is one of his first roles. Uh, did you notice that Chaz Palminteri is also in? I it? didn't catch him. No, where was he's he? The, his the, he's the limo driver. When they pull up oh. in the limo and try to abduct her there, he's the driver of the limo. And he, like, yes! Oh my god, yes! Oh, I'd like to mention something about the fighting. What I like about this movie is... So, okay, I feel like in movies you get two extremes. You have the traditional kung fu movie, which is like where it takes a gazillion punches to beat up the guy and it's like very well choreographed. And then on the other extreme, you get what I like to refer to as Indiana Jones, which is where you throw a haymaker and the guy gets knocked out. What I like about this movie is every time Leroy hits someone, they're like, ow, 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 stop. Ow, ow. And then they go down. Like, (laughs) like it was really like, it wasn't like pop, pop, pop. And they just like flinched and flailed. They were like, ouch, what are you out? Stop. (laughs) 
you know, because like that's the kind of moves he did. He does these quick jabs, and like when you get a quick jab to the face, you're gonna be like, oh, like what the, you know, you're not gonna just fall down. And I found it awesome the way he beat up the mobsters, the way the mobsters reacted, because it like they acted like they were running through a cactus field, like ah, ah, oh, ah, oh, and I thought it was great because that's what it's like if you're gonna do the if you're gonna do like this jeet or wing chun kind of style thing, it's gonna be like pop, 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 and the person's gonna be like. Oh, like they're just gonna feel terrible. And when they come back afterwards and they're like, boss, there was nothing I could do. There was like 20 guys and they all have like <laughs> bruises and stuff because that's what it would be like. They wouldn't be put in the hospital, they wouldn't be comatose. They would just be like, I got my ass kicked. I'm embarrassed. Like that. And that's yeah. what he did. I thought that was actually done really well. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so. The other thing that we have not really touched on yet is the signature moment of this movie, the glow. Yes. And I want to talk about this, but I understand that this may be the subject of our next Dr. Dom's science moment after we enjoy this. This is my favorite song on the soundtrack. Me too. Now all the masses know that you need to glow, you need to glow, the glow to grow. If you love to live, you live to love, fuck, you gotta move to the upper level. Cause when you got the glow, that is no stopping what you want to do. Transition. <laughs> wow. All right. So let's talk about the glow. Okay. So I, Mike mentioned maybe I could do something on piranhas because, like, you know, the tank that they stick the dude's head in and stuff. It was just one fish, though, and I don't know any fish that uh, <laughs> you know that can do that. So I figure we'll talk about the glow. Now I'm going to disclaimer this. I am not a physicist. So if someone is listening to this and they are a quantum physicist and I sound like a moron, that's okay. You can tell me. Be nice about it, though. But please feel free to correct me. Please. All right. So why do things glow? That's the thing. So you're actually glowing right now. Okay. Now, you can you're probably looking at someone or you're looking at them oh my god mike really <laughs> so mike is doing I'm like glad. crazy yeah, hands spirituality i look thing. exactly <laughs> like bruce leroy and bruce lee right now yes, exactly very much so very much so um except fatter and much much slower <laughs> So you're actually <laughs> glowing right now. And so when you think what is a glow? A glow is you giving off radiation. That's really it. That's what a glow is. Now if you can see the glow, you're giving off visible light radiation. If you can't, that means it's somewhere on the other end of the spectrum. Okay. Right now, we are glowing infrared. All right. So if you've ever seen Predator, you know, the Predator, you know, the Predator vision, like he can see people and they glow, right? The reason mm-hmm. they glow in his Predator vision is because he's not using what we call the visible light spectrum, he's using the infrared spectrum. Now, the more you heat up an object, the 
shorter the wavelength of energy it releases, right? This is why we glow infrared, because we're a certain temperature, and that temperature will give off uh, a certain wavelength of energy. We call this energy quanta, which is where quantum physics comes from. So why do I bring all this up? The reason the glow is so impressive is because when we think of something glowing, we think of something energetic. We think of something hot. We think of something powerful, right? So, or a vampire in the sun. Yeah, I never saw those movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, fortunate. <laughs> so any normal human being, the quanta that they will typically give off is infrared, which is longer wavelength, lower energy. Now, if Shonuff, what well, Shonuff glowed red, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Right now, he did. That's our. Yes. that's our reference to King Boxer with the glowing red hands. But here's the thing: he didn't glow red because he was evil. He glowed red because he was less powerful. Red is a longer wavelength of energy. It is lower energy. Yeah. So his red glow, (laughs) even though it looks more intimidating, is a lower energy uh, quanta that he's releasing. Whereas Leroy Green is yellow. Now, as anyone knows, Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow. Yellow is a higher wavelength. So you know that Leroy Green is more powerful because he glowed yellow. It's a different color on the electromagnetic spectrum. But here's the thing. If Leroy was the mo- was m- most powerful, he would glow purple. So if you ever see oh. a purple, uh, if you, like it was a, they made a sequel to The Last Dragon and you fight someone with a purple glow, don't mess with that guy because that guy <laughs> has the shortest wavelength of visible light. Or even higher, you wouldn't see the guy glow, but he would give off infrared and you get a sunburn, you know, or something <laughs> like that. But yes. Yeah, so in summary, you know that Leroy Green is more powerful than um, Shonuff because the quanta he gives off is a shorter wavelength of radiation than Shonuff. You heard it there here, you. folks. That's yeah. scientific evidence. There you go. That Leroy Green is the master. There you go. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Another excellent educational scientific segment, Dr. Dom. That's the extent right. of my quantum physics, by the way, so I'm backing <laughs> up. <laughs> Just the right All right, guys. Well, this is uh, that's a, I don't know how we could possibly top that, so I think that's a good uh, note to go out on. Any final thoughts on The Last Dragon, Leroy Green, Shonuff, or anything else from this movie? We didn't even talk about uh, the music videos in this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it is a music. Well, we talked a little bit about the music videos. I was thinking of uh, is it um, oh, Eddie Arcadian's girl, the Cindy Lauper clone. Yes, yeah, another great '80s reference. Yeah, I, like mm-hmm. I mean, I, we we talked about how like they reference that bubblegum pop music videos, like in this. But um, <laughs> I actually have a question. This is this is going to be really esoteric. So you know the part like right before the climactic scene when everyone's fighting at the dance club and all the students yeah. come in and they're beating up all those thugs. Mm-hmm. You know the little kid is the little kid the kid from Ninja Turtles 2. He sure is. 
100%. Okay, he is. Yes. Thank you. He is. And he Ernie is not, Reyes Jr. Yep, and he's not just the kid from Ninja Turtles 2. He is the stunt double, like the one that wore the suit for Donatello in both movies, one and two. So awesome. Wow. He's a hero. That's one of the, like I said, there's a ton of cameos in this, including Rudy from Cosby Show. This is before she was Rudy. She's the little sister in this movie. Oh, that cute kid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, the other thing is I really want to try eating popcorn with chopsticks. Like, <laughs> can we make that a thing, please? Yeah, absolutely. It's like a screening. That's all we're doing is handing out popcorn and, and chopsticks. Yeah, if there we could go. get our friends at the Little to show this movie, or our friends with uh, Saturday Night Rewind, if you want to cue this up on a future Saturday Night Rewind in the fall. Um, yeah, we could do popcorn and chopsticks, right? Punches of popcorn. We'd be there in the yeah. front row, drying our back. if we can soften the beaches on that. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Seriously, Little, Saturday Night Rewind, we love everything you do. That's uh, right. All right, Jason, Matt, any, uh, any final thoughts on this movie before we Bring it on home. Yeah, I have a quick uh, thought. Um, so uh, this qu- sort of reminded me, because nowadays with movies, like there's not much of an opening credit sequence. Um, but I, I kind of love what that does because we get the, you know, the kind of obvious training montages. But then like maybe three quarters away and we just see um, all of a sudden like chopsticks doing martial arts. And it's almost like a Zucker Brothers airplane naked gun thing. And I just love that because it, it kind of shows you the tone up front. It's like sort of showing your hand and in, in poker like this is actually what I'm about. So it sort of just resets you like, oh, I'm going to you know be watching Enter the Dragon. But it but it's almost like Enter the Dragon meets naked gun or airplane. So um that made me happy and and my favorite kind of movies and i know a lot of people struggle with this at least people in my family friends do is that they can't handle like tonal shift in movies and those are my favorite kind and this totally hits that where it's it could be dramatic it could be an action movie it could be a musical like something like 80s wide streets of fire or um um buckaroo bonsai those are like my favorite movies and this fits right in that group of just like it's just you know potluck of every genre in just every scene is you're, you're kind of changing it's a, you're laughing you're you're you know you're into it there's cool it's just it's just just doing so many things and i love it so much that's thank you for letting me get that out yes. <laughs> if you went to the theater you definitely got your six bucks worth yes right absolutely it's just such a charming film right yes it's not six bucks. I'm sorry. If you're eating <laughs> a big popcorn with chopsticks, it was at least nine dollars. <laughs> so we're talking nineteen eighty five. That's true. Yeah. Three dollars for a giant popcorn, that's eighties prices. Mm-hmm. What is it now? Like, like seven dollars or something. <laughs> you know what? Another wonderful thing about the little is uh I was just there to see Blade Runner last nice. night. They did a fortieth this is the fortieth anniversary of Blade Runner. And they did a showing of it last night. One of the many like cool showings they do of old movies. And uh, it's not bad. It's not regal prices for sure. And it's by far the best popcorn, certainly in Rochester, if not the entire galaxy. Mm-hmm. Real butter. That's what makes the difference. That's Real it. European butter. That is it. That is it. Uh, all right. Uh, Matt, any final thoughts or uh, want to share with us along with that? I know we have some upcoming or new shows on our Lunchador Network from all our Lunchador buddies. Sure, I'll, I'll do the cheap plugs. I, I feel like um, everybody's kind of covered how I feel about Last Dragon because it's great. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. So instead, I will just take this moment to plug everything else on the network right now. Um, 
Anomaly's new episode is out about Serial Mom. Uh, the John Waters epic that marries uh, celebrity culture, serial killers, true crime, and 50s kitsch. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you want from, from John Waters. Uh, yep. BRJ, the, the Beer Review Journal. McKenneth and I just talked about Coors Banquet and Miller High Life with our, our, our new our new friend Baphomet. Uh, that was a good time. Uh, Mimosas with my besties has got a new, uh, new episode coming out. Caleb versus self. Uh, and coming soon, this is news to most of the boys here. Uh, we are going to have the first, um, mega crossover. It's like when Avengers came out, everybody that, that wants to, we're going to have a, a lunch door full on crossover episode sponsored by the beer review journal. We're going to talk about the Jenny Kolsch's that are out this summer. It's uh, the Ruby red Kolsch versus the pineapple Kolsch. Who you got? So uh, anybody that's up for that uh, current company included, uh, you are more than welcome to come in on the big crossover episode. The, uh, the, the lunch door cinematic universe is going to unite. <laughs> Yes, uh, sounds amazing. A cross show. You are very passionate about Jenny beers, so. Oof, but not the modern synthesis of Jenny. Like I'm passionate about Jenny beers circa 2001, which is a very different animal. I think modern Jenny beers are delicious. I love them. Uh, Jenny cream ale circa 2000. I foresee a future episode of the BRJ featuring Dr. Dom. It needs to happen. It needs to happen. Sure. I don't know as much about beer as Mike, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which means, you know, twice as much as McKenneth and I, so you're fine. All right, let's do it. All right. Well, thanks for plugging that again. We love all our fellow uh, lunch door shows. Definitely check them out. Uh, also, Food About Town. Uh, and what's a wrestling one? I need... Ah, the Interstate Wrestling Podcast. That that should be coming back possibly soon. Uh, nice. Yeah, Food About Town. I know Stromy's got some good stuff coming out. Um, keep an eye on that. Stromy, if you want to know where to eat, he's your guy. Um, he is. I... Stromy, I'll publicly apologize for, I think, any time I see someone reference food in any way, I usually tag Stromy in a tweet or post or something. And I was like, ask Stromy. He knows. And he is, to his good graces, always uh, responsive for that. So great guy, our friend Stromy here. And again, the show always brings in some really interesting people connected to the food scene in Rochester and Buffalo, um, which is another one. Dom is also a very... uh, Culture foodie. If you're if you're in Rochester, check out <laughs> Curate, which is his his side gimmick. It's a it's a mystery box for food that happens every other Wednesday. You order it on their website. I I may be the person that delivers it to your house. Wow. Uh, you don't know what restaurant it is until I hand you the bag. And it's uh, everything has one thing in common. It's all fucking delicious. Every single thing he picks <laughs> is gold. Well, now that I know I could be paying to have you deliver something to my house, I'm definitely doing it. Curate meals, find it. It's yeah. good stuff. Um, and you can look if you look on the website, you can see some of the previous restaurants that they've done in the Rochester area. Uh, really good stuff and a really diverse list too. Not all your, uh, not always all the well known, well talked about places. Though you get that mixed in too. I know they had Nosh recently. But anyways, um, yeah, good stuff. Check out our friends on the Lunch Roar podcast. We have an awesome family here. Really looking, really looking forward to our uh, 
Munchador Infinity Wars episode on or Kolsch Infinity right. Kolsch coming up. Yeah, it's the Infinity Gauntlet Kolsch. Yes, there we go. <laughs> so that should be uh, really exciting coming up. And again, you can find us online at Punches and Popcorn on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you have any thoughts, please email us at Punches and Popcorn at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and uh, people that are again uh, martial artists and have that experience. Want to add in or tell Dami's wrong on quantum physics or tell me I'm wrong please on do. how much I love the music in this movie. Um, please do. We, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, until next time, friends, just ask yourself, who is the master? This has been a presentation of the Lunchmore Podcast Network. That was beautiful. Nice. <laughs> that was amazing. Job,